0: After I graduated from college and got my first job, I decided that I wanted to do something to stay active, you know, because I was doing the 8 to 5, Monday to Friday thing. So I decided that I should join a gym. So I went down to the local gym and I joined it and I didn't know what I was doing. And so the gym had, uh, every time people joined, they had a group of people who met with a personal trainer and you did this group thing, and then you got the personal trainer for a couple of weeks after that. And I didn't know what I was doing, so I was really glad to be with this group of people. It was about four of us and the trainer. And I remember it really well, even though it's been years ago. He asked each of us a question or two just to kind of figure out where we were with working out, although I'm sure you could tell by looking at us. And uh, two questions stuck out particular to me. He asked the guy next to me, how often do you currently work out? And the guy said, about once a week. And I remember the trainer goes, if you only work out once a week, it's doing you absolutely no good whatsoever. You've got to work out more than that. And then he looked at me and he said, what are your goals? I'm like, well, I just want to develop some muscle tone, but I don't want to bulk up. I don't want to get bulky. And he looked at me and went, don't worry it doesn't happen by accident. And those two things have stuck with me because I think my initial gym experience illustrates several practical spiritual truths, which we'll get to in just a minute. But the scripture that we're looking at this morning and throughout this sermon series is 1 Timothy chapter four, starting at verse seven, where Paul writes, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales, rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So this is the second week of our sermon series. Last week we talked about how we all are either actively or passively in training to become something or someone. And last week, we sort of honed in on how believing lies and being trained by social media or other influences can lead us to destructive thoughts and behaviors and how they have a tendency to create unhappiness in our lives and separate us from God. So instead of being trained by old wives tales or myths or cultural lies or cultural priorities or social media trends, Paul writes to Timothy and by extension us, rather, train yourself to be godly so if we're gonna do that instead let me now go back and look at the spiritual truths that I learned at the gym one is you have to want to do it it is axiomatic that we do what we want to do and we don't do what we don't want to do now we spin it so that we feel better about the choices but pretty much if we don't want to do it we don't want to do it and if we do it we do it So if we want to grow, whether it's physically or spiritually, we have to decide that we want to do this thing. Number two, in order for it to be effective, you have to train with some frequency. A little bit of Bible occasionally, a little bit of prayer twice a year, some discipleship. That's better than nothing. But one of the greatest problems I see today is half-formed followers of Jesus. There's some resemblance to Jesus, but also a lot of resemblance to our culture. So consequently, when push comes to shove, we could go either way. Number three, you have to be intentional. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. Now, those in mind, I always want to know why I should do something. Why would you be interested in training spiritually to become more like Jesus? Well because the world is still broken and things will be unfair and unjust jesus points this out when he says it rains on the just and the unjust bad things happen to good people bad things happen to bad people bad things happen to you bad things happen to me the other thing is that we will face challenges you might feel rejected You might have really severe health problems you might have major disappointments in your life or you may just have garden variety problems or go through a season that's really hard fairly or unfairly all types of things like that will happen to you the operative question then is what resources do you have to meet those challenges there's this great story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14 in there are some of the lies that we talked about last week if you have more you'll be happy hoard stuff there's no need to share you can plan out your life and it will go the way you want it to you can design your future all those types of things and so this is what this guy um, believes and lives into verse 20 but god said to him you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you've prepared for yourself This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So here's this dude who's followed the lies that have been told to him, and things didn't turn out the way he thought they would. It's like, here's the trajectory of my life. I will accomplish this, I will attain that, I will possess this, I have these plans. And then what happens? Stuff happens. And he has no appropriate resources to handle it of course he dies it's all for not but for most of us the tragedy is something else it's the divorce or the health crisis or the loss of the job or a bout of depression and when those things happen what resources will you have to handle those crises in your life now I think the greatest part of this story, particularly in its context, is that it's followed by Jesus telling his disciples not to worry, that God will care for them. So there's this huge contrast between people who have grown spiritually, who have trained themselves to godliness, and people who are squarely within the lies that the culture has told. And I see that play out in people's lives all the time. Like right now, I'm watching several people, several sincere Jesus followers, walk through really difficult times in their lives. I mean, tough stuff, even for people of deep faith. But in the midst of the difficulties, I'm watching that deep faith carry them along. Even in difficult moments, they have this sense that God is present with them, often through God's people. I also watch other people, who by their actions and choices in the midst of difficult times are demonstrating that they really never had any spiritual foundation and they're making all sorts of unhealthy choices. Why train for godliness? Because when difficult stuff happens you'll have the resources of God. I talk to so many people who say I don't know what I would have done without my family of faith alongside of me to help me through this because oftentimes that's how God works in our lives. I was talking to a medical care provider this week that I had an appointment with and she had recently gone through best, uh, breast cancer and I've known her for a long time. She has no faith whatsoever but she was so touched because while she was going through breast cancer people reached out to her and did kind things. A couple people dropped a meal by. Some people just stopped her in the parking lot and asked how she was. And she said to me, after recounting these interactions, she said, I would never have done that to anybody in my life. And I didn't know that people did that type of thing. Now, I don't know whether these people were Jesus followers or not, but as I listened to the story and I listened to her shock about how people were kind and helped, I thought, you know, That's the type of thing that happens regularly in the church community. That's the type of thing that the church brings along as a resource to people who are suffering. God quite frequently works through others. It's a gift that we give to one another and a gift that we give to our community. Why train for godliness? Because of the connection to God through his people. When Paul writes to Timothy, train yourself to be godly, Paul really has two priorities in mind. The first is the effectiveness of the church. Paul wants to make sure that the church is demonstrating the reality of the presence of God. You know, as I think about it, the church is one of the very few institutions that is thinking of the greater good and at our best living that out. Nearly any institution in our society that does any good whatsoever was either founded by or severely impacted by the church universities, hospitals, libraries, almost every social service you can think of, all were either founded by the church or have been impacted because of the church working through them. And we want to model that concern for other people. That was huge for Paul. We wanna make sure that we're doing the important things, not just spinning our wheels. And here at Harbor Covenant, we've defined the important things as reaching people for Christ, developing disciples who make disciples, and living lives of compassion, mercy, and justice. And those three things provide a filter for us. There are a lot of things that other churches spend time on that we don't because they don't help us achieve the purposes we believe God has called us to. So we have to continue to be intentional about doing the most important things because otherwise we will stop doing the most important things. We have to choose constantly to do the most important things and not be tyrannized by the urgent or by an agenda that doesn't help us meet the goals we believe God has given to us. Now, for instance, a church has to be organized to function. But every dying church I know spends more time organizing itself than it does on mission. We organize ourselves but we spend far more time accomplishing mission because we think that's more important. But in order to keep the important things important, in order to keep the main thing the main thing, we frequently have to evaluate. Are we accomplishing what we need to be accomplishing for the kingdom? And that's really hard to measure sometimes. Here's a way that might be helpful to wrap our minds around this. If one of your friends were to ask, What's your church busy with these days? Maybe you'd be able to say, well, we've been baptizing some people. We've got some small groups working on discipleship. We're serving in the community. We're doing a Bible study that gives us tools on outreach, which is all things that Harbor Covenant is doing. Or maybe you'd need to say, well, we've been meeting for six months to pick out the color for the carpeting. Which one would you rather say? Which one do you think most churches are doing? Paul's concerned for the effectiveness of the church because unless we continually choose to do the most important things, we won't. Paul's also concerned with discipleship. That's individual people becoming more and more like Jesus. So what does it take to train yourself to be more like Jesus? Well, for the first disciples, it was relatively easy. They literally just followed Jesus around and watched what he did. They saw how he treated people They saw his perspective on life. They saw what was important to him. They saw his relationship with God. And I love some of the gospel stories in this period where his disciples are figuring stuff out. A number of times the disciples get all worked up about something, you know, wanting to call fire down from heaven on people they don't like. And Jesus' response is, that's the wrong thing to care about. And then sometimes it was just the opposite. Jesus is pretty worked up about some injustice or something, and the disciples don't seem to get it and don't seem to care. I kind of wonder how often that happens with us. But that's part of the learning process, figuring out whether I care about the same things that Jesus cares about. So on one level, it was easier for Jesus' disciples, except for the whole persecution and death by execution thing. But how do we follow Jesus now? A couple thousand years after him, well, we have to figure out ways to hear the Jesus stories. We have to develop a relationship with Jesus. We have to learn to live like Jesus lived. We have to do what Jesus did. And we do those things through watching other people. We do those things through reading the Bible, through prayer, through serving. But it takes an active choice to do those things or more importantly, to be that type of person. And we choose that because we're all in training for something and we wanna be in training for godliness. So we have to actively and frequently choose to be a Jesus follower. And those are both important, active and frequently, because how often every day are you barraged by messages or ads or culturally conditioned things? And I've noticed, That whatever you listen to the most has the tendency to be what affects you the most it's also important that we understand that we have to replace the bad stuff the lies the myths the cultural stuff with good things and this is really integral to our faith i mean nature abhors a void i've been doing a lot of gardening recently and man one of the evidences of the fall is weeds if you don't fill something with, a good, with good stuff, the bad stuff keeps crawling back in. I find this out every day when I have to go out and pick more weeds, but the same is true in our lives. If we just take bad stuff out, it leaves a void, and so we've got to put good stuff back in. It's why, central to our faith, repentance is more than feeling sorry it's replacing a bad choice or a bad influence with one that's good because then it fills up the space it's important to understand we've got to fill our lives with good stuff not just take bad stuff out we also have to be able to recognize things for what they are oftentimes we look at a cultural influence or something else we go that's not really all that bad but you often have to think about where that choice is going to lead you after all satan is an angel of light. You have to look beyond first blush. I mean, nobody ever started out on drugs saying, I'd like to ruin my life. I'd like to steal from people who love me. I'd love to live on the street, weigh 72 pounds and have all my teeth rot out. I mean, nobody starts out that way, but how many people end up that way? That's also why mentoring relationships or spiritual friendships are so important. You need help. Just like at the beginning, I needed a trainer. Sometimes you have to have someone from outside of yourself to help you see reality. And the reality when you walk through a difficult time might be that you're not alone. It might be that you've got more going for you than you think or that you're stronger than you think or that you need to put things you know into practice and you need somebody to tell you that. That's always helpful. We've got some things that are coming up that will help us Fill our lives with good things that will help us train to be godly a program that we did in the past that we're starting over again this fall is called 321 the idea is that we have three people in our lives that probably don't know Jesus that we just love and care for in Jesus's name with the hope that we might be able to serve them and maybe have a spiritual conversation someday We have two people who already know Jesus, and we're pouring our lives into them, discipling them. You got kids, you got twos. Sometimes it's just a matter of taking friendships and moving it to another level. And then the one is that mentor who's speaking into our lives, who is maybe that much further along than we are in this whole Jesus journey, who can help us with those things. We'll also be starting some new small groups that will be doing a rooted curriculum, which will help us to dive deep in the fundamentals of our Christian faith and help us to train from a very basic level. So for some of us it will be brand new, for others of us it will be a great refresher, but from a very basic level of what it looks like to follow Jesus. We've already got a bunch of serving opportunities that are coming up. Serving's important because it gets us outside of ourselves. Serving's important because Jesus talks a lot about being behind people who are needy. And oftentimes when we're serving and we get out of our stuff, it gives us a different perspective and we meet Jesus as we care for and we love other people. And currently, we've got a new Outreach and Evangelism Bible study that's online, four weeks long, that you can pick up each week. And we will be doing these things as ways for all of us to train to be godly, as ways that we can not only put off bad influences on our life, but fill our lives with good things instead. And I just wonder how much different the story of the man with bigger barns would have been If he had trained for godliness instead of following the lives of his culture and i wonder in the next month six months year how all of our lives will be different when we train for godliness so let me ask you three questions number one what are you actively or passively training to become number two in what area of your life are you just building bigger barns and number three What are some spiritual fitness goals that you can set for yourself this summer?